Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us once again for In the Corner. Today, I'm really, really excited to be joined by Ryan Smith, current Notre Dame senior and Bengal Bouts captain. Uh, Ryan was a 2020 Bengal Bouts champion and is one of the two captains this year who's been really taking the lead on promoting their fundraising efforts as the club aspires to reach $100,000 for the missions in Bangladesh. Ryan, thanks so much for making time to chat with me today. Yeah, thank you, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. It's always been like a dream to go on like a podcast or like a show. So like this is super cool. It's like something I've always wanted to do. Now you tell me I get to get to do it with Matt Gelchin. I mean, just makes it all that much sweeter. So oh, thanks man. for having me. That's uh that's high that's high praise, Ryan. That's high <laughs> praise. I'm just gonna dive right in then. I don't wanna delay this dream any longer. Um uh, what was going through your mind the first time that you stepped into the ring for a bout or as you're waiting backstage for that moment after training all season, could you uh, offer a little bit of insight into your psyche during those moments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to go back. That was three years ago. So my freshman year, I remember the date too, February 15th. So I just had a three year anniversary. You know, I was, I was nervous. Not going to lie. I was anxious. I was going up against Matt Yoder, who was a two-year captain, a former finalist, by all means, one of the top two, fighters in my weight class at the time and yeah I mean I was just super nervous and I was excited I felt like I worked really hard but I think I kind of knew what the likely outcome was going to be going up against a a guy like that I knew the odds were stacked against me I knew he had more fans in his corner than me you know I just you know I was pretty confident and I was optimistic but you know doubt and you know that anxiety was surrounding me and I told people the coolest thing about walking to that ring for the first time and Purcell under the lights I mean, it literally, like, I'm not kidding, it felt like a video game, stepping into that ring. I actually almost tripped on the ropes. My foot caught for a second, um, but I kind of recovered, didn't fall, thank God. But I'm, I remember looking around, just looking up to the lights, looking at Chad Harms, who was the ref for that bout. I think looking at my mom in the corner, seeing a few of my friends there, and just my legs didn't feel like mine, my arms didn't feel like mine. Like, it was legitimately like a video game. It was like VR. Um, so shout out Baraka with the VR. Uh, I already know what that felt like three years ago because that's really the best comparison I can make. Just utterly surreal, which I feel like is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but really felt like an out-of-body experience for the first time. That is that is really cool. And I, I think you bring up a, a good point with tripping on those ropes. I don't think that people realize just how uh, perilous getting in the ring or <laughs> out of the ring can be at some point. Like, yeah. it, it's a minor miracle that we have not had someone... <laughs> just completely yeah. eating right. going into the ring. <laughs> incredible. Room. And I told myself, I was like, all right, like one foot at a time, one foot in, like left foot in, right foot in. And I still almost messed it up. I can't, I couldn't believe it. But yeah, every time I step out of the ring, I, oh, I'm always really careful. I look down and I think I go two feet per step, literally, just so I don't fall. Um, I take my time uh, in front of everyone. So Well, in, in fairness too, sometimes it can be the fault of the person who's sitting on the ropes yeah, and they're, they're kind of, their weight distribution changes a little bit as they're mm-hmm. like saying something to a person entering right. the next thing, you know, they ease up and then the, the rope raises a little bit. So yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it, it must've been that I'm sure. Must've been, I'm sure. Yeah. The freshman trying to intimidate me, try to rattle me, you know, typical, <laughs> typical. Uh, you, um, you mentioned your, your mom being in the crowd and seeing her yeah. as you entered. I yeah. remember, I think it was your sophomore year. I met your yeah. dad at one of yeah. uh, your bouts. Cause I think I was chatting with Steve Camilleri. Uh, oh, sure. Right. That makes a, sense. Yeah. A great, uh, a great proud Long Island native. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
So I'd love to to hear a little bit about then what that was like when you told your your mom and dad that you uh, you're deciding to embark on this Bengal batch journey freshman yeah. year. Yeah. So for that question, we got to go way back to freshman year of high school. Um, my brother EJ Edward Jr. Uh, was a two-year boxer at Notre Dame. Was a quarterfinalist both years, and his freshman year, so my freshman year in high school, I got to come out and watch uh, his first two fights. It happened to be my winter break for high school. So I spent my whole winter break basically at Notre Dame. I remember I had to read a John Steinbeck book for class. But in the meantime, between chapters, I was uh, around campus with my dad and we got to watch my brother fight. And I don't really know much about the boxing club. I just knew that my brother was doing it. But I mean, just imagine what that felt like to a 14, almost 15 year old. Uh, it was It was unreal. And it was definitely something that I was like, I want to do this. Like, this is something I really want to do if I ever come to Notre Dame. And honestly, I don't remember the exact sentiment of what my dad and eventually my mom said when I got back home, when I was kind of bragging to them that I was going to be this Bengal Bats champion one day. Um, but I remember the sentiment and it was basically just like, relax, like worry about high school. Um, they always made the comparison between me and my brother because my brother rode on the crew team in high school. So he was always, he always took fitness really seriously. And he always kind of saw it as like a necessity and still to this day, stays in shape just out of a uh, necessity. And it was always kind of, uh, uh, it was unquestionable that he'd be in shape. So to do something like boxing, it made sense for someone with his mentality. Whereas for me, I was always kind of more competitive and loved like the team nature of sports. So at least at first, I didn't really see how that translated to boxing. But yeah, my parents were like, come on, like, shut up, basically. <laughs> Um, they didn't want to hear it from me, um, but I, you know, I just kind of kept that in my heart and eventually uh, made it a reality when I came to Notre Dame in 2017. Did you and EJ at any point, whether mom and dad were aware or not, did you ever <laughs> lace him up and uh, get a little you bit know, of like sparring in? You know, he was, he was excited um, when I joined the club. So freshman year over Christmas break, he offered to throw mitts for me, but I didn't even have my own pair of gloves at the time. And we didn't have mitts at the house. It's crazy to think of, but we just didn't. He had a pair of gloves, so he used those as mitts. And I just used like my wrap the pants. We went in the backyard and it was okay. Um, you know, I threw a few combos and then I nailed him. I missed the mitt. I missed the gloves. And I nailed I'm him. I'm sure you did, Ryan. I'm sure you, know, I you swear, did. Hey, to this day, I swear it was an accident. And I clocked him right in the nose with a two. And my dad's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is why I didn't want you to box. He starts like going off again. I'm like, no, 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 I don't know. I swear. Like, I'm better. I just missed the mitt. I swear. Um, Give him a little bit of a nosebleed. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. We threw some a little bit of miss over that break. And then it was really my sophomore year. I remember vividly was a big turning point. Um, he came home from grad school out in Vegas and he wanted to work out with me because he knew I was really taking it seriously. He knew that I was really trying to take it to the next level. So we worked out in the basement, you know, some sort of burpee workout, I think. And I just remember I was doing everything faster than him. I mean, I was quicker. I was in better form, just overall, just in better shape. And I think, yeah, I guess I must've been 19, almost 19. No, yeah, 19 at the time. And I'm like, wow, it's the first time I've ever been more athletic and just more in shape than EJ. And just crazy to the mind of a 19 year old. That's never happened before. It wasn't even a question before that. So that was a big turning point to me. Like, wow, this is really paying off. Like this is really doing something for me. That is, that is really cool. Uh, the two of you were able to, to share that experience as, as boxers and then to kind of yeah. have that moment where as you're coming into your own as a boxer to have that workout and yeah. your freshman year. So you had a, as you mentioned, you had a tough break and drew a senior captain the first yeah. round lost. The let, I'll, ne I'll, ne I'll never let Nate forget about it. Just <laughs> uh, and actually a bit of an aside here, but I think 
um, Yoder was the first Bengal bouts captain in history. And that, that might be an overstatement to both compete in the same night that he sang the national anthem That's for right. Bengal yeah. bouts. I forgot about that. I remember was that, was that the finals? Um, he, he did that. Um, he, I want to say he did it at least for the juniors. He did it once in, um, in Denki family ballroom. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I felt like there may have been a second time as well, but, okay. um, but you had a yeah. tough, <laughs> tough, tough draw that first year, um, right. sophomore year, make it to the semis again, really tough opponent, lose a decision. Yeah. And then junior year, you come in one of the top seeds in your weight class. What was your mindset when you got to that semifinal bout and are yeah. trying to break through to the finals, uh, knowing that that Bengal bouts jacket was, was just a, about yeah. away. Um, yeah. and then even just, and then maybe beyond that, then what, what was the switch when you were going into the championship fight and in new terrain? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, because it's definitely something that I took a lot of, I took into account last year when I made it back to the semis. Um, it definitely helped that I was familiar having fought in the semis when everything gets down to one ring and everything's a little closer. You feel the crowd of noise a little more. So I was excited for sure. Um, I felt like I had improved so much since my sophomore year. I felt like between freshman and sophomore year, like I got a little more muscular, put a little muscle on me, got a little better cardio wise. And then I felt like junior year, I really improved just boxing stylistically. I really found my rhythm and was able to really come into my own as a boxer. Um, and so I knew that, you know, I was confident going in that this was going to be my time. And I was against a familiar opponent. I had uh, fought him the year before my first ever victory as a sophomore in the prelims. So familiar foe, uh, I knew he was going to be better too, his second year in the, in the program. So I, I just, I just embraced it. You know, I embraced the fact that, you know, his corner is going to get loud. They knew he was an underdog and I knew that there's expectations as a junior, but I mean, I've said it from day one, no one's had heavier, heavier expectations on himself than me. I mean, I, I lay it all out there and, you know, I expect to thrive in those moments. So I was, that's what I was able to do. And it was, it was a gritty fight, but I was able to punch my ticket and it was definitely a great feeling. No doubt I had my dad there and then calling my mom um, to let her know that she could uh, book her flight to South Bend to come watch me. And then to answer the second half of the question, yeah, another much different opponent, uh, Tim Mikulski, very, very skilled, very fast, uh, a lot taller than I am. So I knew he was someone with a lot of savvy, a lot of expert, you know, a lot of um, just sound boxing IQ uh, when he moves around the ring. So I knew it was going to be a chess match more than anything. Um, but again, I, I just felt like I was prepared for that moment and uh, was just really looking forward to embracing that experience of a finals night, which I did. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people who are in attendance viewed that bout as uh, one of the more skillful displays of Bengal yeah. bouts boxing was just a really, really great uh, exclamation point on the, that particular bracket to see yeah. the two of you square off. Yeah. I'm sure you got a front row seat being in Tim's corner and all, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feel, I had a feeling that that might come up uh, at, some yeah, at some point. I, I had to sneak it in, you know? <laughs> uh, um, so what I think is interesting for some boxers is uh, while outside perception might be like, Oh, these, these, bracket winners these championship boxers like they just get better and better and better um but that progress isn't always linear or sometimes even on that that steady uh, road of improvement there are setbacks along the way and i was really really struck that about two-thirds of the way through the season or so you had uh, a difficult spar one that you didn't feel like you were at the best with got hit a bit more than you, 
you would have normally. And, yeah. um, and so much of Bengal bounce is learning to, to bounce back and not letting short-term setbacks derail progress. How did you avoid having that one bad spar turn into more than what it was, which was just one, <laughs> one bad spar? Yeah. Uh, and how did you use that experience to propel you to success the remainder of the season? Yeah, that's, that's super insightful just because I think it's something that's often overlooked, especially when you get that close to the tournament. It's all like, all right, well, how, how good of shape is he in or you know, how good of a boxer is he? But that was definitely a difficult moment. It was a very, it was, it was a critical juncture, I think, before the bouts began and a couple weeks after that. I remember the day, it was Super Bowl Monday. It was the day after I had like all these ribs and chicken wings, like basically my last cheat day before the tourney in a few weeks. I got into the, the ring on a Monday to spar with Arthur Ortiz, um, very talented, very quick. Um, but someone who I just felt like I should have done a little better than against. I just felt slow. Just I felt sluggish. I felt like I was a step off a lot slower than I'm accustomed to. And I remember, too, a lot of people were watching that spar. It was a little later. I think we were a little backlogged. I'm surprised with the sparring on that day. Um, so we were one of the last ones. And there were a lot of captains and just a lot of younger guys, too, watching that spar. So I started to really feel like that pressure, like I should be doing better. And I started to press a little bit. And it was just, I felt off rhythm. So I got out of the ring and you know, I was disappointed. I remember texting you about it too, going back to what I had eaten the night before mostly. But I just really didn't let it bother me. And I think that's when I really knew that I was ready for the bats in two weeks. I was ready to take it to the next level. I was just so locked in, so confident in what the work I had done the past six, eight, you know, realistically the last 12 months leading up to that, that. I wasn't going to let one bad day or bad spar set me back. And, uh, you know, luckily it didn't, but it was definitely a good test, a good litmus test to see where my mind is at. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a, such an insightful observation that um, so often with Bengal bouts, we think about our boxers physically prepared when there are these mental tests along the way. And, um, and that ends up being so, so critical for success in the tournament. And for you to be able to then take that experience and to, to not have it derail your season or mess with your psyche, I think that's a real testament to, to you. And, and frankly, I mean, I think it's a lesson that younger boxers in the program could really benefit from yeah. learning because boxing is inherently an exercise in imperfection. And yeah. so the, the more people are able to, to learn that early on and to get better at dealing with those imperfections, the more success they'll have. Yeah. I mean, listen, we tell people don't be scared to jump into the ring to spar for the first time. And it's not because you won't fail. I mean, you totally will, but it's because it's never as scary as you think it is, you know, and that failure is never going to set you as far back as you think it may. So it's going to be more of a learning experience if you just adopt the right mentality. And that's what we try to instill every day, every practice with these guys. You've had a, a number of really fantastic and uh, exciting moments in the ring is there one that stands out for you as the most memorable during your three years of competition? Totally. Yeah. And it's kind of a two-part answer. Um, I think the first answer that kind of go back to that freshman year bout. So my mom was there. Uh, she got to watch my first ever fight. Um, my dad couldn't make it out. Uh, he coaches hockey for my high school. So they happened to have a playoff game at the time. And, you know, we basically told each other, we, you know, take care of each other's business or you know, take care of our own business, I should say. Um, you know, we'll, we'll chat about it later. But my mom came out and, you know, at the time I just had a handful of uh, friends from Morrissey just kind of there to support me, very modest fan club. But it really meant a lot to have my mom out there. She's the one who, after the brackets came out, really calmed me down. And, you know, just I was a little upset about the way things you know, had shaken out with that bracket. Um, 
I wasn't angry. I was just, you know, I was nervous. I felt like I was going to embarrass myself. And she's the one who really was like, Hey, like, like, this is the rhyme that I know, like, this isn't, you're not being you right now. So to have her out there was humongous and it ended up being a split decision loss. And I came down and I gave her a kiss on the cheek. And I told her from there, I'm like, I'm going to be a champion. I told her right there. I'm like, we're going to make this happen. Like you're going to, like I promise you, that's my promise to you. So throughout sophomore year and then the first few bouts of junior year, uh, she didn't come out. She stayed home, took care of the dog and some stuff around the house. My dad would come out. So that, that was his time to shine. He was there supporting me every step of the way over those next two years. And then finally finals night, my mom got to come back along with my brother who had never seen me fight either. So the three of them came out. You know, at that time, I had a ton of friends across the dorm, friends from work, friends from the club. Just to kind of see it culminate like that was very overwhelming. But at the same time, the one thing I had always told myself over the last two years was if I ever win, if I ever finally make it to the top, mom gets the first hug. Mom's getting the first <laughs> hug. She gets the first kiss. And I did. And I asked Andrew Sharp, who's my corner. I, I ignored him uh, as I ran out of the ring. And I made a beeline right to my mom. I wrapped her up. And I mean, I was just so overcome with emotion. And all I could say was like, I did it. I did it. I, I told you I was going to do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of great memories, but that's the one that's like, yeah, like things came full circle. Like I actually did it. And that was really special to share with her. That, that is really, really cool. And um, I don't know that we've talked about this before. Um, and actually, I don't know how many people, boxers would know this too, but I, I had a somewhat similar story in making a promise to someone that I would win Bengal bouts. And I, I was even more foolish than you in that I made it uh, <laughs> before my, my freshman year, uh, before I'd ever really? stepped in the ring. Um, but um, yeah, no, that's, that is really, really cool. And I think that's, that's a good rule for life that uh, the mom gets the first hug. I feel like that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's helpful yeah. standard operating procedure. Well, it's funny. If you watch the video, ESPN caught it, which is kind of cool to go back and watch that. But if you watch, I wrap up my mom and then my brother and my dad join in the hug. So it's like one big Smith family hug. So it's like, I, was, I, I like to joke with my dad. I'm like, oh, you kind of ruined my moment with mom. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool to have that uh, to go back to. That is, that is uh, phenomenal. Thanks for, for sharing that, Ryan. Um, yeah. I, uh, at this point, we'll transition to the steeple of the podcast putting you on the hot seat. There we go. We'll, uh, we'll take it nice and nice and easy on you. Just uh, a light spar. Yeah. Is that what it is? I don't think it's, it's bout season right now. It should yeah. be. Least, so I can lay it, lay it on me. I'm ready to go. Oh man. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll see how, how we get going. So we'll, uh, yep. we'll start things off with, uh, Oh, this will be good. This will be a good first question for a New okay. Yorker favorite <laughs> food. Uh, gotta go New York pizza or mac and cheese really, but yeah, pizza for the New Yorker. Okay. Biggest pet peeve. Uh, people grinding their teeth on utensils when they eat. Favorite yeah. book of all time? Uh, East of Eden, John Steinbeck. Was that the one you're reading freshman year? <laughs> no, it was another time. It was a tortilla flat. Yeah, different. Okay. But. <laughs> uh, most recent book you've read? Uh, to a God Unknown, John Steinbeck. I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had a time machine, would you rather visit the future or the past? Man, I don't even believe in time travel. You can't go back. So. <laughs> Uh, sure. I'll go future, but no, kind of neutral for me. Okay. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Uh, I think go through walls. It's kind of cool. Final question. What's an interesting fact that you recently learned? Uh, wow. Interesting fact that I recently learned. 
Oh, chicken wings. So you have like flats and drums, like the drum. Yeah. Like the, yeah. So the drum is part of the arm. I had no idea. Like the wing huh. is obviously part. Yeah. But the drum is just the other part of the, the arm. That was, that, that is, that is an interesting fact. I, Mind blowing. Uh, yeah. That, that, you, I mean, that shook my world. When you, when you said to bring it, um, I uh, figured that would be a, a question that could put uh, people off guard a little bit, but you, you were well, uh, yeah, well I was equipped. almost, almost had me there, but you know, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's, that's an important, uh, life skill developed in boxing, the ability to, even when you're off balance to find a way back. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you really, I think have demonstrated this exemplary commitment to the mission of Bengal bouts. And mm-hmm. it, it seems that a big part of that was your participation in the ISSLP yeah. and going over to Bangladesh after your sophomore year. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience there? And, and how did that change your relationship with the club? Yeah, um, that's a great question because that's really one of the culminating events um, that I've taken part of with the club in the past four years. I think what I really took away from that experience was just how happy the people were. I mean, these are people living in marginalized society kind of sent to the fringes of their communities and oppressed double minorities because they were um they were uh, indigenous but also christian so did not get the respect that they really deserved from the government or anyone really and in bangladesh but they're just so happy and so generous and you know they'd really treat us like royalty like they treat us like kings and at times it was embarrassing but i realized that they were just so happy to do it and they were just so hospitable and generous with their time and I'm thinking to myself, why am I the one that's feeling uncomfortable? Like, I'm the one who has it all over in America. Like, I'm the one who should be in a position of power. But there were moments where I just felt so powerless. And it wasn't just because of the difficulties, but it was because of how happy they were. And it was just like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen people who had so little, but were at the same time had so much to give somehow. And, you know, taking that back to America, I was like, well, how can I not be committed now to the club? Um, you know, how can I not? take this experience and let it kind of energize me even more so to another level. Um, and it was just a really good life lesson. I think it's not just about boxing, but also just in general, how just being content with what you have and just being happy and being generous. I mean, that that's a cost-free gift that you can give anyone each day. And it really changed the way that I kind of woke up each morning and lived my life, especially in the context of boxing, but just more generally, it just really kind of changed my worldview quite literally. Uh, it seems like that's a constant theme hearing from guys who come back, just how that front row seat changes their, their relationship to the club. And, yeah. um, and then certainly, I mean, I think in this environment, which is challenging the way in which you guys have still fully embraced uh, keeping that mission at the core and raising funds for the Holy Cross missions has been just so, so admirable. Yeah. Uh, you, you have, I guess with, some might call uh, a little bit of an interesting boxing nickname. I'd be interested yeah. to uh, hear a little bit more about your, your boxing nickname and uh, what yep. the story behind it is. Yeah. So this again, goes back to freshman year. Uh, I needed a sick nickname, right? I mean, no box is complete without one. So I knew I had to have something, some swag when I walked in the ring. So I was playing around with a ton of ideas. I'd sit at the kitchen table over break and was just annoying my mom every day. Like, Oh, what should my name be? What's your nickname be? looking things up, trying to play around with some stuff. And then finally, I was texting my brother, who wasn't home yet, I think, for that break. Um, but I was texting him about it. And he's like, oh, what about, like, shortstop? Because, like, 
you played baseball and I'm like kind of lame dude like oh <laughs> that um but then he said short stack and he's like because obviously your size like a play on your size your stature and also he knows that I love pancakes so it's like I love breakfast food like I swear by it most important meal of the day no doubt and I just love pancakes so the idea of a short stack kind of fits my persona and just kind of fits you know my interest in breakfast food um so was, you know, I'll give credit where credit's due. It was really EJ's idea first. And he said it and I'm like, short stack, short stack. Yeah, we can work with that. And I and it wasn't a done deal at that point. I almost went with actually the little dipper. So, you know, I like constellations for your astronomers out there. You got like the big dipper, you got the little dipper. And it really would have fit my boxing style if I had gone that way. But I mean, short stack, especially with the pancake emoji, which I can just leverage on social media nonstop. I mean, the choice is pretty clear. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's taken off. Like I knew it would be like a little fun nickname, but it's become like a part of me, which is pretty funny. Like my dad will just refer to me as stack sometimes. So yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Just wouldn't change it for the world. That is, uh, that is great. I mean, I think there is a little bit of a missed opportunity, uh, a little known <laughs> fact about our podcast listener group, um, a pretty extensive following among uh, astrologists. So uh, I think that... <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Next uh, time. The, uh, yeah, no, that, that's, and also, I feel like that fits. I'm a, a guy from New York, uh, certainly a lot of great diners there. Mm-hmm. Makes sense that pancakes would be a, a yeah. big part of you. And did you yeah. celebrate by any chance? Did you uh, treat yourself to yeah. pancakes? Yeah, so I had always, I remember saying like freshman year to my friends in Morrissey, I was like, if I win, I'm taking you all out for pancakes. So it didn't happen that year. And then junior year, it was like a week until quarantine. So it never really happened. But I think when I got home, like, my mom took me for a short stack. And I mean, every time you'll ask friends when I go to the diner, it's kind of my thing. Like, I'll just look at them and I'll be like, looking at the short stack, you want to get a <laughs> couple of pancakes? So I just, I play into it. I'd, I'd use it. So, but yeah. Oh, I love, uh, I love just how multifaceted this, this nickname has become. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Big part of your identity. Right. I'd love to, to hear, I mean, you're now in your second semester, senior year. How has your Bengal Bouts experience influenced if at all, either your career plans or at least your immediate postgraduate ones? Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm sure this is an answer you're familiar with, Matt, and you and Britt. So I'll be doing ACE after graduation, uh, two-year teaching program through Notre Dame. And really, it was a program that I'd never saw myself fitting into up until like a year ago, maybe junior year was when I started taking it seriously. Um, and yeah, I definitely credit boxing with kind of influencing that. Um, one thing I tell people about boxing, you know, completely outside the ring is that it fundamentally changed the way that I see myself fundamentally changed the way that I see the way that I impact people, the way that I influence and just being someone who's never been the loudest voice in the room. And also just not, never obviously the biggest guy in the room, fastest athlete out there. Boxing kind of gave me that outlet and empowered me to kind of realize my potential as a leader. And I think that's so important for ACE. And as time went on, I realized, you know what, I'm doing all this great stuff around campus um, you know, being a captain of the boxing club, being an RA now in my dorm, I think ACE is just kind of like a logical step where I could really help empower a next generation of, of kids, especially at that young formative age. And it's definitely going to be challenging, but I think boxing has given me the discipline and kind of the time management skills that will really benefit me well over the next two years. So big credit to boxing for really opening up that, you know, unlocking my potential, I guess. And that's what really led me to ACE. No, I with my friends and colleagues still in ACE, I told them they're, they're getting a great one. And those students, uh, wherever you're, you're sent, they'll, uh, 
certainly uh, been for being for a real treat with you as their teacher. Yeah, thank and you. as you as you go from short stack to Mr. Smith, to everyone in the community. Yeah, here. right. That's gonna be I think of something a little catchier, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I guess the the last question I've got on my list for you, you're in the midst of this final bango bout season and you've found yourself leading in very unusual times. What do you hope your legacy as a captain is? Oh man, that's a heavy, heavy question. Um, you know, I just, I want to just be remembered as someone who is accessible, just approachable. You know, it doesn't matter how many bouts I've won. doesn't matter how many headbands I wear, you know, what my nickname is. doesn't matter, you know, how fast I can do a bunch of burpees. I just want to be, known as someone who can be talked to and for anyone that is you know whether you're a four-year vet a fellow captain or just a kid who's scared to death and his first day of practice I want to be someone who you know is easy to talk to and just an accessible personality and I like to think of myself you know just being honest I like to think of myself as kind of the heart and soul of, of the captain's group and we got a lot of great personalities but I do feel like I stick out in the sense that I'm just happy and I take every moment for never take a moment for granted and I'm so grateful for every single moment that I have with those guys and girls and um, especially in a year like this it's hard to really see the good and uh, the day-to-day stuff that we do but I've always been someone who prided myself on just finding the good side of things and I just want to be remembered as someone who just loved his job more than anyone and just you know just saying a lot because I know everyone loves being a captain and everyone loves the club but I promise you, I love it as much as you do. <laughs> that is, that is a, a a great way to transition into this the staple of the podcast, the the yeah. final round, where you get to, to shine a light on uh, and show a little bit of love to to two people who were instrumental in your boxing journey. Yeah, um, super. Um, as any other podcast interviewee could tell you, I think this is a very tough thing to narrow down to two people. But first, uh, I want to start off with Johnny Link. Uh, I met Johnny last year after he came back from uh, being abroad in London. He was a senior captain. I was a junior at the time. And I'd never met him. Never, I'd, I knew the name, but never met him before that. And, I mean, we just share the same mentality with regards to working out and just in regards to getting stuff done, um, especially throughout the season. We would push ourselves. I remember vividly times where we'd look at each other and just keep each other going. And he just saw something in me, I think, that, few other people did with regards to the hunger and the drive and ambition that I have. Um, I think anyone can see that I have a lot of energy, but the one thing that I don't think everyone sees is that I'm just hungry and that like, I want it bad. I'm going to work for it. And Johnny saw that and he matched that with his own hunger to his credit, but he really helped me leverage my own hunger and ambition into what ended up being a championship season for both of us. So someone who really helped me kind of feel the deal on what's been a multi-year dream. So shout out Johnny for that. I'm sure uh, Johnny, who was an earlier podcast guest, will really appreciate that quite a bit. Yeah. And and you're number two. Yeah. So I want to do something different for this number two, because I was really trying to think of people. And I mean, there's literally 20 people I could put for this, no doubt, Um, yourself included. I mean, every corner that I've had, every captain that I lead with this year and last year. But I want to give a shout out to just the idea or the kid who never won bangle bouts the idea of the kid who was scared to death to step into the ring but did it anyway or the guy who knew that the odds were stacked against him or maybe didn't have his friends out there to watch him fight um, or the kid who just never made his high school sports team 
Nikita never felt like he was good enough to do boxing, but did it anyway because he wanted to prove something to himself more than anyone else. Like, I've been there before, kid. And if you're that person listening to this podcast, like, I know what that feels like. And it's a sucky feeling. But, like, for those that I've met who are like that and for those who I haven't had the privilege of meeting, like, I appreciate you. And, you know, you're well-loved. And uh, just keep fighting. Keep pushing. Because even I can't promise that you'll be a champion. I can't promise that it's always going to work out. But, you know, for the kid who never tasted the champagne, uh, you know, here's a toast for you. <laughs> oh, could not have uh, said it said it better myself ryan thank you so much for making time for those who might be listening at as of time of recording i believe the guys are just about at the the halfway mark toward their fundraising goal and so um certainly uh, we'll have as always the the fundraising link in the notes please if you're so inclined help uh, support the guys as they raise money for the holy cross missions in bangladesh Thanks so much again, Ryan. We really appreciate uh, getting to hear your insights and uh, getting a a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. And, uh, you know, thanks for everyone who's listened. All right. See you all later. He is the boxer.